Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, whose face we cannot see and whose will is often a mystery, we ask that you reveal something of yourself to us. As with the bush that burned but was not consumed, let your glory shine through sacrament, scripture, and sermon, so that our hearts and lives will be ignited with your love. Amen. Amen. Listen for God's word in the reading first from the prophet Isaiah. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then this verse from the first chapter of John. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord. Millie and I did something that commoners like us had not been able to do before 1993. While in London on sabbatical, we went on a tour of Buckingham Palace. 750 rooms in this royal residence. Great hall, dining hall, library, ballroom, music room, each carefully decorated and furnished to impress. Over 7,000 paintings are available to line the halls and hallways. Come by my study through that uh, door over there, and five minutes is all I need to point out my family pictures. It would take hours. You'd get all your 10,000 steps in. It would take hours for a member of the royal family to point out the portraits of ancestors, many of them painted by the masters. Not that family members do that very often. The portraits are hung not for nostalgia, but to remind visitors just how impressive is this bloodline. The columns, floor-to-ceiling windows with drapes, balconies, domed ceilings, exquisite antiques, and display of arms are not there simply to provide a residence. They are there to do what was done to Millie and me, leave visitors in jaw-dropped awe in response to the glory of the palace and the family that lives there. I love stories of the English monarchy. I loved watching The Crown. And their great accomplishments and their acts of charity are not lost on me. But let's be honest. 
There have been chapters of the monarchy where intimidation was also the point, that there lived in such a grand place someone with the power to give a command like, off with their heads. Having seen Buckingham Palace and the equally impressive palace in Versailles, I've checked them off my bucket list. What I've yet to see are the pyramids of Egypt, especially the famous ones in Giza. The largest of the three in Giza has a foundation that covers 13 acres, each block weighing 15 tons. The pyramids were built for various reasons, but one overarching reason was to set the empire straight on how things are to be. On the enormous foundation of the work of slave masses rose the ever-diminishing layers of Egyptian society, each layer resting on the support of those beneath them until there has reached a point that is 450 feet high. And the point is this. Pharaoh sits atop Egypt's world. He is the one to whom all blessings flow, the God who is to be served by all below. What glory. Walter Brueggemann reminds us, though, that it's a glory that comes of enforced scarcity of the workforce needed to harvest the fields and build these impressive pyramids. Some of those slaves, the Hebrews, escape from beneath the pyramid that is Egypt. And you'd think that these liberated slaves would be glad to be free of the great burden laid upon them by all those layers of Egypt that lead to Pharaoh. But they remember the glory of the pyramids and a system that at least sheltered and fed them. They may have been at the bottom of the pyramid, but at least they knew their place. And look how high could grow an empire that in a strange way depended on them. It's a cruelty of human psychology that abused masses can be duped into thinking that they can have worth, that they can have importance because those who master them are powerful. And so now, out in the wilderness, they question Moses, where is God's glory, the God that freed us from Pharaoh? That's the questions that they ask because they are afraid of starving and dying of thirst. Well, it turns out that God's glory is all around them, but they have to learn to see it because God's glory is seen in a fire that warms, in the cloud of presence, and in the tent of meeting. Now, if, like me, you find those images from Exodus a bit too symbolic, let's get more to God's point. God's glory is seen in manna that prevents starvation and water that prevents dehydration. God's glory is seen in sustenance and hope, in the compassion of God who compelled Pharaoh to set slaves free. Be of a certain mind and heart, and you'll ooh and ah at the pyramids and palaces, the creation of empires. I do. Be of another mind and heart and you'll ooh and ah at mountains and canyons and rivers and stars, the creations of God. I do. They truly inspire all. And my oohs and ahs have joined the chorus. But the essential glory of God is missed when you don't see this. Unlike 
Pharaoh. God is not satisfied with impressing us with creations like mountain ranges and a canopy of stars. Yes, they do speak to the glory of God, but that majesty finds definition when we then look down and see the manna on the ground and water coming from the rock. To use Isaiah's vision of the wilderness, God's essential glory is seen in that pyramid being flipped on its head when high places are brought down and low places of poverty and need are brought up. It is the justice and compassion of love where God's glory is most clearly seen. Or, to use the vision of the Gospels, we see God's glory best when God's word high and lifted up becomes flesh among us. We behold God's glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth when we see Jesus feed thousands in the wilderness yet again, help the sick heal, the crippled walk, the blind see, the dying live. When he embraces children who are for the moment shunned, when he teaches the masses and trains his followers to lead so that they on their own can bear witness to God's compassion and grace. This worship service today is in celebration of the successful completion of the Mission Bill campaign. And I'll admit, on the service, it might seem that our celebration is more about what can be built to impress. Across the street, a house is going to be renovated. Down the street, the Presbyterian Community Center facility will be replaced by a bigger one. At Union Seminary, a dormitory will be renovated, and it will be much nicer than when I lived in it. And in the Dominican Republic, a hospital much bigger than the clinic it's replacing will be completed. But God's glory is not going to be seen in those buildings unless we see the ministries of compassion and grace that take place within them that will lift up those who are brought low. The house to be renovated across the street will become Alexa House, named in memory of Alexa Cannon and her heart of compassion. And every time a meal is served in that house and its lights are turned off for a safe night of rest, or every time family members get to visit remotely loved ones in prison, God's glory will shine. Within the new Presbyterian Community Center facility, every time a bag of food is shared or assistance rendered to a family in financial crisis, every time children of working parents are tutored so college becomes more than a dream but a probability, every time unemployed adults are trained with new and needed skills, God's glory is going to shine. In the city of San Juan de la Maguana, within the hospital now being built, every time someone who lacks the resources to pay is given medical care, a disease treated, a surgery performed, a baby delivered, an emergency dealt with, God's glory will shine. And within the William R. Klein Leadership Institute at Union Presbyterian Seminary, every time leaders of the church are taught in the way that Jesus taught his followers, and every time they are trained to lead the church to bear witness to God's love, building faith communities that can witness to God's love out in the world, every time that happens, God's glory will shine. 
And when we, as followers of Jesus, and when we as a church community continue to worship and serve God, bearing witness to the God from whom all blessings flow down into our lives and out into the world, God's glory will continue to shine. Do you have minds and hearts today to see God in needs met and lives transformed? If you do, ah, what glory. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.